Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about. time for Mortgage Matters. Good morning, everybody. Morning, Good Dan. Good morning. Good morning. No, that was better. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> What's happening? Yeah, I'm just so happy to be here. Look all, all look forward to this all week. Yeah. yeah can't even talk. <laughs> you didn't do your stretching on the way in. <laughs> no. You're the first person I talk to every Saturday. Feels that way too. Yeah, I might grumble a couple yeah. things at my wife. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of household grunting before I show yeah. up here. <laughs> Coffee. <laughs> Tired. Oh. Jim, how you doing? Fantastic. Good to hear. Absolutely fantastic. Good, good, good. Mm-hmm. Yep. We had a nice warm up with the Mother Mouse show this morning. And oh. The audience is all prepped and ready. Everybody's and ready. Everybody's ready. A lot of calls. Yeah, yeah. Had calls this morning. Yeah, good. it's good. Very it's good. good. So now everybody should be. Everybody hunkered down, hiding out in their AC. There it is. Pretty toasty yesterday, yeah. huh? Oh my gosh, what's happening? It's October. Something. I We must have gotten behind, or it's all that. Uh, leap year or the quarter day thing or daylight savings or something but i think Mm we we it's probably not actually climate change it's probably just that the calendar's just mashed up now Mm -hmm. well maybe not we don't get the cold time so (laughs) and we just got stuck in summer ground listen to the two guys who work in air-conditioned offices complain (laughs) you know what i step outside wait 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 i thought morro bay is always 50 degrees cooler right Right. we don't we do not need air conditioning in morro bay because it doesn't get hot out there yesterday oh my god i got an idea for you what's that it's a money maker You're going to be the first ever Morro Bay air conditioning company. (laughs) (laughs) And the last one, actually. (laughs) Maybe not. I mean, if climate change is coming. Yeah. I started thinking about this a couple weeks ago. I started thinking, are we, is it just going to become like, we'll be like, hey, you guys remember back in the days when it used to like be in the 80s? Everything's just over 100 all the time. Is that possible? Maybe California becomes so hot and so like dry that it becomes inhospitable and all the people that bought houses here just sad and just have to abandon them and Mm-mm. head east or north or something. Hmm. I don't know. It's, I don't kind know. Of, it's getting hot, man. We had some days and you guys remember like in January this year, we had yeah. like some hundred degree days. Yeah. Although I saw this week, it's crazy. At least we didn't break the record or something, right? This week the record and it was like a hundred and something, and we only hit a hundred. Wow! Well, the Tribune said yesterday it was ten degrees warmer in slow than North County. It was. That's yeah, interesting. I actually went to the North County last night after I got out of here. That was a hundred yesterday in Atascadero, at least mm. where we are. So that's pretty. Warm Unless it was one hundred and ten and slow, I say Miss Reed. Maybe Paso was cooler. I didn't go to Paso yesterday. Well. It was pretty warm. It was pretty warm. It's hot. I'm ready for fall. I thought we were there. Last week we had some cool days. I actually went to a pumpkin patch this past. I haven't done that in years because I don't got any small kids around anymore. But I went uh, with a family that has small kids, and it was just so much fun. 
Seriously. Where'd you go? Seriously, the Apple Valley Barn. Yeah. Yeah. So much fun to go out there with small kids. Apple Valley Barn's not as free as it used to be. Yeah. Used to be a lot more free to do stuff out yeah. there. They gave you free food to feed the animals uh-huh. and uh-huh. the yeah, pumpkin ride. Yeah, it's kind ride of caught on as a like, tourist trap. But anyway, well, it's, it's fun. getting a little bit busier now. Yeah, it's fun. Maybe they're charging just to try to thin the crowd out so that yeah, could be. Know. They did like a hay ride. Everything yeah. is a lot of fun. That's yeah. fun. Yeah, I went in there. Um, yeah, the they have the hay maze up this year. They do. With the tarp over the top of it that yeah. turns it into like a sweat lodge yeah. sauna with yeah. a blue tent. And Dan's got to take his kids down there because they have one that's for little kids too. So that they only had like two bales. If parents can high, see. So mom and dad can stand out inside and look. You can stand yeah. over the top. The and kids are like running around. It's so cool. You can sit there with your phone and record everything. It's so much fun. Yeah. These kids are just like running around in there. I remember we took Trey there when he was really little and he just went inside and sat in the corner. Like, (laughs) nobody, it's a maze. You're supposed to try to go somewhere. And he just like looked up at me like, man. (laughs) There's an age to the old, uh, the fall mazes. Huh. Well, maybe some rain this week, huh? That'll be exciting. Look forward to that. So how's the week, man? How you doing? I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. Good. It's good to hear. (laughs) (laughs) Interest rates are doing all right this week. It's a funny week in our office. Um, This is the the first week of the new TRID, TILA, RESPA, Integrated Disclosure. I I made a point to remember that now because I got asked, what? are you ready for TRID? Oh, we're ready for TRID. What's it stand for? Wow, a uh, <laughs> terrible, ridiculous integrated disclosure. No, missed it by that much. Uh, yeah, so we we have new process in the office this week, and it's been uh, uneventful. <laughs> well, the whole industry has been talking about it for six months. It was suppo- At least. It was supposed to first be implemented in August, and then they postponed it. And now in October, first... First business day of October, yeah. it's, it's on. I remember like a year ago, they did the uh, request for public comment. Hey, review yeah. these forms and weigh in on it. And okay, so we weighed in on it. And then, you know, yeah, from there, then all the, the fear mongers got going. This was going to destroy the world. And yet here we are. Every, everybody's still just doing fine. And, um, but yeah. I thought it would be interesting to talk a little bit about what that means to the loan process now, what it means to the consumer. I know that there are a lot of real estate agents that are that listen to the show. I mean, we know that. Um, I've actually heard from a couple of different companies that their management at other mortgage companies around the county encourage their staff to listen to our show for training. Um, so that's kind of funny. Um, and then I think just the general consumer going in, if you're getting a new loan today, things are a little bit different. I think a little bit different. Um, you're supposed to, we're supposed to say it's way different. I mean, this is whole new stuff. Um, but essentially what happened here is, um, the CFPB as created by Dodd Frank made this new, uh, this is kind of the final piece of what, uh, changed, in terms of regulation and the CFPB wants everybody to consider this the the no before you o initiative that's how they call it down the halls there and and I think that's a probably a pretty fair description the goal 
uh, once again, is to make sure that consumers really have a very clear understanding of what they're doing, what they're getting, how it could potentially change and what the final rules are. Um, and so this whole new piece of uh, regulation here is just geared at that, just trying to make sure that people have a very clear idea of what they're getting before they sign it. And I'd suggest a um, lot of talk about what's happening at the front side of the transaction. I don't think that's the most monumental part of this. It's really at the back side of the transaction. Um, I wish we had a little audience here to poll, but have you ever been to, when you get a home loan, you go to escrow or the notary comes to you really nowadays and it just isn't what you thought you were getting. I mean, <laughs> I feel like the responses would be, would be, that was probably common. Not so much anymore. I, I think less so now. Yeah. But I think there's still but a lot things it's a change. confusing yeah. process. And it's, it's well, a lot yeah. of terminology that's hard to understand. Well, and you've got somebody over you, like, you know, whether you're with your escrow agent, with or without your loan officer possible, uh, I mean, present, um, Sometimes there's a notary in your living room, but in any case, they bust out the stack of two inches thick of paperwork. And, you know, if it's a single borrower, that's a big process to get through, right? Hey, what's this I'm about to sign? And, and they don't typically give you those disclosures or those final documents ahead of time to review. So most of the time you're sitting down to the final loan signing and you're kind of seeing some of these forms for the first time. I don't feel like there's a lot of accommodation for it. I mean, if you took your time and read all of those papers right there at the closing table, you'd be looking at a few hours, half hours. a day, maybe a day. <laughs> you should probably bring a lawyer and sit there and understand everything that you're signing. But that's not how it works. And it's. I think everybody would feel would say that they feel a little bit more rushed than they'd probably like to be at that process. Um, and so in sometimes I think, yeah. And in yesteryear, this is probably more true where things are different. Hey, that isn't the interest rate that I thought I was getting, or that APR is higher than what I recall. Or, um, what do you mean? I have a prepayment penalty, a lot of things like this, or, um, you know, some of the more common ones that I think do happen today are, I didn't want an impound account right. and, or, um, I, Hey, I wanted an impound account. You know, I wanted my taxes insurance to be included and they're not. So those little things will pop up. And so with this new TRID process, um, lenders are required to give a closing disclosure to the client three days, at least three days before the consummation of the loan, before you can sit down and actually sign your final loan docs. And, um, and so that's nice that I think that is, that's a good idea. It gives everybody that, um, real clear. I mean, and it's a clear form. I think this form is actually clearer now than the good faith estimate that we were using last week. Yeah. Um, by the way, guys, the good faith estimate, that's now an archaic term. Um, that form 
isn't going to be around anymore. It's not being used in the loan transaction. This new uh, loan estimate at the beginning of the loan really replaces the good faith estimate as well as the truth in lending statement. It it contains most of the information from both. I think it actually drops out a little bit of the information that doesn't make sense. The ad box A, ad box B, all this kind of thing, and just kind of clearly goes through it seems like there's more space on the page, which seems less intimidating. It feels like somebody that doesn't speak mortgage can understand what it's saying. And then it just outlines the terms. Um, you'll get some time to spend with it. And then a three-day, if you have a, a refinance that you're doing, once you get it, you have to receive it three days before you can even sign your closing docs, and then you'll have a three-day right of rescission as usual. So in those cases, a borrower is going to have like a six-day almost cooling off period where the terms are clearly dictated. Hey, this is exactly what the closing of your loan means. These are all of the parameters of it, and now you're going to hang tight for a few days while everybody's going to take a break and make sure that this is something you really want to do. I really like the introduction of the three-day period in a purchase. Mm. Um, a, a lot of times we'll have, think about a first-time home buyer who's never gone through this process before. I remember the first time I bought a home, it seemed like it took a while maybe to find the right home. But once you're in escrow, oh, it it's feels, a whirlwind. Yeah, that 30 days passes by very quick. There's a lot to do. There's inspections. There's a lot of decisions to be made. Um, and before you know it, you're getting that call from escrow to come on in and sign that two-inch in, Not to mention just the documents. just the gut check, right? Yeah. Because you look at this house, you look at that house, maybe you write an offer and you don't get one. It's an emotional roller coaster. And then all of a sudden... What could have been years in the works is now under your 30 days. Here we go. And yeah, you're right. The inspections, you you know, you're going to have a home inspection and then you're going to need to understand what those findings are. Sometimes you, you need a contractor. The home inspector will say, hey, I couldn't get to this part of the house. You need somebody, you know, in this way or to say, hey, there was the electrical it's quirky. You need an electrician now to come out and look these things over. I, you know, this is as far as my scope goes. So sometimes those inspections lead to more inspections. Then and you got the appraisal and the yeah. deposit to escrow, and you're focused so much on the mechanics of the transaction, and you've got this loan officer who's asking you for financial documents periodically, and, and you're just like, okay, I'm I'm trying to make sure I've got a habitable, functional house that's worth what I'm offering on it. You just keep working on that loan there, buddy. And then all of a sudden, it's time to sign loan documents. And maybe that's really when you're first refocusing on the financing aspect of it. And what's happened before TRID is that typically you'd sign and then 24 or 48 hours later, your it's loan's a done funded deal. and it's over. Yeah. And so this, we've, we've already um, it had a three-day cooling off period in refinance transactions. So now to add it to a purchase, is, I think is a good thing too. I'm not so much in favor of adding an additional three days to a refinance. So now refi is you have a six-day cooling off. Seems a bit extreme, but it's just part of how this all went down. Um, I, I do like the addition of that to the purchase. And maybe that gets amended at some point. Who knows? I mean, this is new. And I mean, the CFPB is new as long as we're being open about that. I'm not convinced that they know exactly what they're doing either. So it's kind of a, a trial by fire type of thing here where we'll figure out. I'm sure 
this thing will either get cranked down a little bit more, loosen up a little bit. Uh, it's something new. Um, Another cooling off period that was implemented was the upfront disclosure. That's the, right. The loan estimate. And now the the loan process gets off to a little bit of a slower start than it than it would have normally, whether it's a purchase or a refi. Now the... You know, it's still the same rule where once you have a loan application completed, your loan officer has three days to provide you with an estimate of fees. Previously, it was called the good faith estimate. Now it's called the loan estimate. And so you're provided that document within three days of, of completing an application. And then there are three more days that must pass after you receive that document before the appraisal can be ordered. And that was never the case. You could basically you could get that estimate of fees and then order the appraisal same day. Now we're slowing that down a little bit. Um, so that will get it off to a little bit of a slower start. Um, it means that there's potential to, you know, both of these waiting periods, both on the front end and the back end, have the potential to lengthen out an escrow. Um, but I think if there's good planning and and a good process that you can still close things and you know we always strive for 21 days i think 21 to 30 days is still a reasonable amount of time as long as there's a good process in place yeah and you know what i i i generally upset real estate agents when i say things like this but um it's one of those things where yeah there's gonna be at times i do i think there's gonna pop up some little delays where it was unanticipated, and because of this new regulation, there's just going to be there's going to be problems. And I always err on the side of saying, "Yeah, you know, you, that's life. It's what happens, and you're just going to have to do your best to work through it." The realtors really kind of blow up because this family over here has a moving truck scheduled. And they've got kids that have got to, you know, get to school on Monday and they got to make this happen. And they got the utilities being shut off at this address as they're being put on at this address. And then all the while, the buyer that's coming in, he's got moving trucks in the, you know, in the driveway and they've already left their house and driven across county or state or country. And it is, I understand it, it can be total turmoil. Um, and, when we're just talking about this in the bigger, looser framework, this is where I say, hey, let's not do that. <laughs> Don't schedule it all the way down to the nub and then orchestrate all of the pieces to happen all on the exact same day, leaving no room for anything to come unbuttoned. That, that's just not the best practice. I recognize sometimes that's going to happen. Um, and, and, you know, again, I, I really do. I think that it's going to be okay. We're going to figure it out. I don't see this piece of uh, legislation causing huge, huge disclosures. Um, and I always want to just throw the little asterisks on it right there because I want to just go one step further and say um, for companies like us, because there's a really big difference in the way that companies function like us for Wells Fargo as example. I mean, Dan and I are the owners of Central Coast Lending. The two of us are the decision-making decision making 
personnel about what happens in our staff, what the policies and procedures are. I mean, yes, we're getting legal advice where necessary and making sure we operate within the framework of the law, but we're not part of a bigger company. We don't have a big board. We're not one division of a company that's got a bigger concern. We're not making decisions to keep shareholders happy and not upset other people or whatever. We do what makes the most sense for us in the daily operation of our business. And for us, that closing disclosure that triggers that three-day wait, that big part right there, that's something where the scale of our company, one of the great benefits of being a, a lender like us, a little lender in town here, is we have the ability to be a little more nimble and to make policies that are more accommodative to the process. And so we can issue the closing disclosure statement when we're ready. And, you know, to me, that can happen. I would argue that can probably happen any time in the last two weeks of most transactions, right? Um, because things don't change too much at the end of the loan. At least they shouldn't. I mean, if you've got loan officers that don't understand things and then the underwriter is going to be fixing things and then the doc drawer is going to be requiring another big change and then the funder is going to come through and say, hey, this is this loan is a high priced mortgage loan and needs to be restructured with a lower APR. So that's those are that's significant stuff. That would be problematic. I really um, we haven't seen a lot of guidance yet about what the retail banks are doing in town, like your Wells Fargo, your Chase, your Citigroup. Um, I can only imagine that they've made company policies that state the closing disclosure will only be issued when the loan is clear for docs. Um, and generally speaking, uh, I would suggest that in the current business climate, um, most of the time docs, you're getting cleared to do your closing docs part <laughs> literally with within days of the close of escrow. Um, if there aren't delays, right? What if you're a 30 day escrow and you're already looking at 32 days. So you're getting clear for docs on the 30th day or something. And now you have this new three day wait. If, if your issuance of the closing disclosure is directly tied to being cleared to close, those transactions will likely have delays. So for us, for the most part, we're going to be able to decouple that, do an audit of the file, a week or 10 days before close, make sure that there are no reasons why this loan is going to change at the last minute. And by the way, you know what the last minute changes are that um, cause a new disclosure and a, a new delay? It's the addition of a prepayment penalty, the addition of a balloon payment or changing the interest only period, um, or the APR being determined to be inaccurate. Um, those are all things in my estimation that shouldn't be surprising people in the very fourth quarter of the loan transaction. So for that reason, I kind of like that one of the, and, and I hope this is an intended consequence, but that's going to be one of the big benefits of this, by the way, is it's going to force lenders to tighten their, their end game up about having stuff nailed down before the very last minute, before you go sit down and get surprised to what your terms are, they're going to force this thing to get kind of sharpened and honed in a week or so before the actual closing of the loan. And then you, the end result is the client gets a clear and concise disclosure where they now have a much higher comfort level because they understand what they're getting.
Um, I'm not going to say that our government nailed this one and got it perfectly right. Um, but all in all, um, you know, you can choose to run and be scared and talk about the delays and curse the government, curse the regulatory agencies, wish you had another job, which I've heard plenty of that lately, or look for the upside, look at what improvement it will make in the process, look at the benefit to the end user, um, and just do your best to implement it and I, I think you hit it on the head there in, in that last statement. I think for, for companies that you know consult their client on a loan program and stick with that from the you know they fully disclose what it's all about from the very beginning. There's no surprises at the end. There's really not a big change in this process. For any loan officer or company that made a practice of trying to deceive or anything like that, then this is going to help know, shake them out. Then it, yeah, it's going to shake them out. It's going to expose them. It's going to cause delays in transactions, and they're not going to they're not going to survive. And so I think that that's really the good that's come out of this. Yeah, and you know what? As as long as we're talking about that, no matter you know which of the banks in town we're talking about, and you know, I I don't make a practice of speaking ill of anybody's business. Um, I don't think that those that those lenders are around today. Yeah, I really think they're. Few I don't think there are any that are purposefully and and. Thanks to a lot of these regulations, by the way, there's not a lot of opportunity for you to go switch something up at the very end. I mean, as it was, let's talk a little bit about the the now put to rest GFE 2010. That was a good run, right? 2010 was when that thing came out. Seems like just yesterday. It was a new confusing form that made a simple one-page form, a three-page form. The yeah, biggest, I've been complaining about it for five years. Right. <laughs> and the biggest things about it, though, what were the biggest things? It made you guarantee your fee structure to the borrower for a 10-day period so that if they were out shopping, they couldn't get a couple lenders to commit to something and then come back to find that the deal was suddenly not available, right? Uh, and, and by the way, that was going to kill every mortgage company because fluctuations in the market, this, that, and the other, there's no way you could navigate that. So you know, be really scared of this form. And in the end, though, what happens is the initial good faith estimate that you started out with had to match pretty darn well to that final closing statement. And if there were any variation, each one of them was very carefully evaluated, determined whether it was a zero tolerance change. Like, you know, you may not change that fee. You cannot make more money on this deal at the end from what you said in the beginning. You cannot raise your origination. Um, that was kind of the biggest thing. Other things like title report fees. Say, hey, title report fee, we get that's a little bit of a moving target. That can change by 10%. If it changes by more than 10%, the lender is going to write a check to cure that. That's how that goes. That's how it went. Was it a big deal? I mean, all in all, I'd say it was a movement in the right direction to help protect the consumer a little bit. It wasn't that big of a deal. It didn't destroy business. It didn't. No lenders went out of business because the new GFE was just too hard to fit into their business model. This stuff will be the same way. And I think this is, it's kind of the fine tune and tweaking of what that document did. Cause some of that stuff's in this new um, loan estimate and closing disclosure too. Like in the initial loan estimate we use now, it says these fees are guaranteed for that 10 day period. So it, it's kept a lot of that stuff in. Um, 
I don't know that I have a lot more to say about TRID. I certainly wanted to address it today because I knew that people were listening. And, you know, oftentimes if the the show like this that you deem your resources not electing to not talk about it, you got to wonder if they're not prepared or they don't know about it or if they're not comfortable with it. We're comfortable with it. We're prepared. It's implemented. It's not that big of a deal. Um, yeah. Oh, boy, man. I feel the passion. Do you? Yeah, you have a passion for disclosure. I loved. It's obvious. To I me. loved the operations <laughs> when I, I was. He's got a passion for trid also, oh, man. Boy, man, I love forms Boy. with fillable fields. Woo! Well, that gets me going on. I Saturday. did always really like that though. When I when I first got hired at Countrywide, it wasn't my first job in the mortgage business, but I got to be kind of the pseudo compliance officer of my company or you know of my branches, and I dug it. It's fun. I like that stuff. Uh, 30 more seconds. We're not ready for this break yet. No, yeah, we are. <laughs> He's hovering no, over about 15 minutes past the first break. But anyway, who's counting? <laughs> All right, here we go. It's uh, it's break time. We're gonna you know, right. for the guy for the guy who pays for this show, you guys sure give me an awful lot of grief. Oh my gosh, you I, almost I made your break. Check. I write the check. Yeah, that's yeah. that's it's, cool. Yeah, I know. my signature's on the check. Ready, break. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back with more mortgage matters. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso, Morro Bay, San Luis Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. Ha! 
summer in the city Back of my neck getting dirt and gritty Bend down, isn't it a pity Doesn't seem to be a shadow in the city All around people looking half dead Walking on the sidewalk harder than a match here But at night it's a different world Go out and find a girl Come on, come on and dance all night all right, welcome back. I was starting to type an email right now. You ever, you ever like you're multitasking? This happens to me every day. I'll be multitasking, and uh, I'm talking to somebody. I'm and you're typing while you're talking. Yeah, it's it's not at all related. Like the just right now, I almost just read what I was typing to you guys. <laughs> I certainly understand your sentiment. Uh, no, that's not what. That's not how we're coming back. <laughs> that's not how we're coming back from the break. Oh my gosh! Yeah. All right. Well, hey, we got like an hour and twenty more minutes of uh, mortgage matters here, and well, before we moved on oh. from the trid topic, there there was one other change that I wanted to discuss, and I think it's another good good change from this whole thing. Okay. Um, what the. Old good faith. Well, I don't know the old good faith. The new good faith. What it failed to do. The GFE 2010. The GFE 2010. One of the big problems with it that I thought was was that it didn't. When when a borrower would go out shopping for a loan, if they shopped with a bank and a broker, they would they could be offering the same exact deal, but it appears very different on the form. The fees look much higher. When a broker discloses fees because of the way the the form is set up and the way the rules are for filling it out, um, basically, you know, there's a every loan there's some profit being made by the company that's originating your loan, and then with any interest rate that you get on your loan, there's either a cost or a credit associated with that interest rate. And when you got a quote from a bank, you would see the net charge to you. You would see the bank's profit offset by this cost or credit and only see the net difference. On a broker form, a broker completed form, you would see the compensation the broker makes. Yeah, you would see the compensation, the, the true profit to the broker, and then you would see the offsetting credit. So it just showed some really big numbers. And some people had a hard time getting past the fact that there was a significant amount of profit on a loan going towards a broker, even though there was the same profit, if not more, going towards a bank, but it was just disclosed differently. They, they had trouble doing that net calculation. This new form puts both business models on the same playing field as far as disclosing fees. Both fee forms, both loan estimates or closing disclosures, depending on where you are in the process, they will look the same if it's the same deal from either a banker or a broker. And that I really like. I think it helps the consumer shop regardless of of the the, the structure of the, the originating mortgage company. It allows a borrower to put the new form side by side and truly compare and figure out which one's the best deal. It makes it a lot easier. And yeah. that, that I think is a huge improvement. Yeah, I agree. That was one of the big things when the new GFE process, the GFE 2010 process came out that really drove a lot of brokers out of the broker side of the business and moved them into a banker side where they latched on to these national companies that, you know, operate a little differently. And, and they, they lost that boutique service that they used to have when they were just an autonomous 
mortgage broker operating in their local market. Yeah. You know, a lot of that was lost when you go just fold into some bigger company that has bigger bureaucracy and all the, the disadvantages of that bigger company with all the, the layers of management and all that stuff. I think it really slows things down and we lost that creative, nimble, you know, fast moving broker. Interestingly enough, I was reading an article uh, yesterday about TRID and some folks are already uh, suggesting that one of the the biggest unintended consequences of TRID will likely be lenders with less investors. Um, the nuances from one investor to the next and how things are going to be interpreted. Um, some of the wait periods and whether you do mail delivery or electronic delivery and when that starts the clock and then some companies are not wanting the closing disclosure to be issued before the actual clear to close. Um, just all those different nuances and, and are so the naysayers are just kind of fearful that what will end up happening is that lenders that, you know, kind of like us where we, we have 50 different banks that we work with and, and I mean, that sounds crazy. I, I keep saying 50, is it still 50? I know you're, adding and scaling back and changing, manipulating around. I mean, and some of the approvals are now dormant where all we really need to do is hop in and re-up it. But it's a laundry list of lenders. And um, why? Why do we have to have so many? Because different different banks have a different focus on the type of loan they want. They have a different interpretation of guidelines. So they're more lenient on one issue, but maybe more conservative on another. And in order to service our clients to the fullest extent, we need to have every option available. Yeah, so some lenders, we need every bank. some lenders that we work with, um, will do everything, but investment properties. Some lenders won't do condos. They have the best pricing you could have on a Fannie Mae 30-year fix, but they won't do it on a condo. Um, some lenders offer manufactured home financing. That's not the norm. 95% of the banks out there today don't want to deal in a manufacturer mobile home. Um, there are companies that uh, similarly and similar numbers there uh, with construction and lot financing. There are so many different banks that just have appetite for different properties or are willing to accept like they've got a, they've got a, a, a lending mindset. That's like, well, sure, we'll do that. That makes sense. We, yeah, we want to offer that, that full array, try to be the one-stop shop. Uh, and there are many lenders that do not, they say, Hey, look, Everybody needs to specialize in something, and this is what we specialize in. And so, you know, I, I, I know I get up on this soapbox every now and again, but this is the thing about our company that that's like my favorite is um, you have access to all of that. You don't need to be pigeonholed. I'm never subject to one the boss man coming in and saying, "Hey, everybody's got to start pushing the five year arm." You know, you know. You're going to make double commission this month if you can get more arms in the door or try to convince people to get a line of credit with their new loan or whatever. I mean, those might even be passe examples, but but hear what I'm saying, though. When you represent one bank, you have only the appetite for the property types they have, the underwriting standards they have, um, you know, 
those little nuances and and it really is in my eye um it's kind of like that lending tree thing when banks compete you win hey when when a mortgage expert like me has 50 different banks like in my quiver of banks to draw from i can i can hit the target an awful lot more than if i was just a wells fargo loan officer well and yeah believe me i could be a loan officer anywhere um i don't want to be i want to be a company like ours that has all of that, right? I mean, that it just is by design. That that hard that can't hardly be argued. I don't know what the other argument is. It's a it really is the ideal way to be up in the lending environment. And um, truth be told, there's not very many companies like us anymore. You kind of touched on it a minute ago with the GFE thing. There's been a lot of stuff that's shaken it out. Just made it harder for people that. Um, aren't really good at this to stay in the space. So the easiest thing to do, like, you know, if we got into the crosshairs of the CFPB somehow or somehow ended up in a in a spot where we felt that the regulatory environment was just too risky, the easiest thing to do is we call up any one of these banks around anywhere and say, we want to be just a, a net branch of you and man, they'll buy you or just agree and send you a checkbook to start paying the rent and the bills and everything. And just let the business side of it run back through their business in a New York minute. This happens all the time. I mean, and there are companies in town, long standing companies in town here that used to be independently owned firms that whether or not the consumer can tell, they've rolled in to become a net branch of one bank. Um, and some of them have maintained some of their ability to broker or whatever, but there's not very many companies that are like us, that are privately owned and existing in that way without any ties to any one bank. I mean, there's no, no one is over us in that way. We're not a subsidiary or a, a net branch or some kind of, you know, operations or whatever center of anybody else. We're just doing what we do here in town. And I'm, I'm really hopeful that with putting brokers and bankers on an even playing field with the way fees are disclosed, that it will encourage more companies that used to enjoy that autonomy and that you know, the local management and local ownership. I, I hope that they'll they'll consider moving back in that space. I, I truly agree with your sentiments. I think the the multi-investor, multi-bank platform of, of a broker or mortgage banker like us, I, I think it's the best model, hands down, for the consumer. It, it really, like you always compare to Lending Tree, where, you know, we, we pit four banks against each other and, and you win, it's good for the consumer. You know, do the same model, but but put 50 banks against each other competing for your business, whether it's, you know, getting you eligible for the loan or whether it's giving you the best interest rate at the lowest cost. You know, whatever it is, um, the more options you have to choose from, the better. Uh, it's just I mean, it, it just is. I think everyone can agree to that. Yeah, totally. Um, on the topic of banks. Every day, I, and I think everybody that listens to this show listens to the radio, right? <laughs> A very high percentage of people do. Uh, um, 
Well, you have those listeners in Australia listening out on the internet. Right. Streaming. Yeah. That's why I say it kind of tongue in cheek. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if you listen to the radio today, you hear these knuckleheads over at Cash Call. You you hear this stuff, right? Um, They're a DBA of Impact, which we could spend an hour talking about that. Impact was one of the companies that we used to work with a dozen years ago that um, we're still they're still an investor yeah there's yeah they're still around um but yeah so cash calls a dba of them uh here's the deal though right you guys heard the term the do-over refi I wish you could play this commercial right now. I would play it for them for free can you push play on that commercial? cash call yeah uh, the do-over refi commercial find it I don't know I don't know if I can do that. I At any rate, might get in a little trouble with the management. Here's what it here's what it sounds like, okay? And um, I'll do my best, but it's something to the effect of like the interest rate and APR with the no closing cost do over refi is only three point two five percent for the fifteen year loan. It's a do over refi. All you have to do is just do the paperwork that most of it you did the first time. Yay! There's no Sounds such like the ones I load. Okay, check it out. There's <laughs> no such thing as a do-over refi. If you're refinancing, it, by definition, we'll just break the two words apart: re, like again, right, and financing. You are doing financing. So if you're doing over a refinance, you're like now into double negatives. It's kind of ridiculous. But listen. There's not a do-over refi. If you're going to get your paperwork out and you're going to do the forms like you did last time, you're agreeing just to do another loan transaction. That's what you're doing. The commercial itself drives me nuts because I think it's lame. Um, their rates are very deceiving. I and I mean, and part of it is just simply because it's a national ad campaign. So it takes them some time to get sign off of the compliance and legal and hey here's the rate they publish the rate and then all of a sudden the rate's no good i imagine they just record uh, a dozen rates right and then just send out the one for that day or that week or that advertising cycle um but then they say things like this um I know this has been compliance heavy, but they say things like this, 3.25 APR and interest rate with no closing costs. I will say, Jason, that sometimes we get what they call um, notification that the spot has to be pulled. Yeah. Because they can't, legal reasons, it cannot run. Yeah. Well, listen to this. They never specify why. Dan. Yes. You are not the compliance guru. You're pretty darn good at it. If I have a loan where I'm doing escrow, escrow has a fee, right? And if I pay the fee on behalf of the client, that's still an APR charge, right? Yeah. Your APR cannot match your note rate spot on like the way they advertise in those commercials day in and day out. There, it's just misleading. The entire thing is misleading. The way the guy voices the thing is misleading. It's, it's not a... It's not a game show or a bullfight or something. And I, it blows my mind that these big national companies can still be doing this stuff. But um, I, I wanted to pick on them today. I got a phone call this week from one of my clients that said, hey, you know, I I know I have a pretty good loan and you're my loan guy. And I always just come back to you. I'm, I keep hearing this um, mortgage commercial and I got a, I So it compelled me to call. And I said, um, okay, yeah, let's check it out. 
So I started looking at it, and um, he says, yeah, you know, it's just the do-over refi. It sounds so simple. And I'm like, oh, Matt, there's the don't. Thanks for calling. I'm super glad you called. Don't listen to the do-over refi thing. There's no such thing as that. It just, you don't just, what are they even alleging? You just tell them your name and you just, they just go, oh, we got another do-over over here. Just give this guy a crazy low rate with no cost. Um, the goal there is just to get you to make a phone call. And once you get them to make a phone call, what can they do? bait and switch you, you know, it, it's wild to me the way that it works. And, um, anyway, just frustrating. I wanted to take a minute to tell everybody on the show that, look, if you come in for a refinance, um, getting a new loan, yes, we can do your loan again. Central coast lending does refinance loans. We love doing refinance loans. They're very simple, very similar to a purchase loan. You just don't have a purchase contract. Everything else is really the same. Um, sometimes there are reduced requirements, right? Sometimes you might only need to bring in one year of tax returns. Sometimes, um, if you're doing a cash out refinance, like you're taking $10,000 out for your son's wedding and you, um, are going to be left with $10,000 in your bank account at closing because of this loan, we might not require assets. We don't need to verify reserves. We know you're going to have 10 grand. So we don't need bank statements. Those kind of things result in reduced documentation. That isn't a do-over. Don't be duped. You still, you know, is, is cash call going to be able to avoid doing all the loan disclosures with you because you did them last time? No, it, it's all, they're going to have to do them again today. The disclosures today, like we've been talking about trade, those aren't even the same. The trade disclosures didn't even exist a month ago. So unless your loan was done on the third, you can't just do over with paperwork you've already done. Most of which you've already done or most of which you've already done from your last refinance or something. That's ridiculous. I mean, um, you guys, our listenership here, you're, you now know that's a sham. Each time you hear the commercial, I hope you're as offended as I am. <laughs> if you want to talk about doing a refinance, give us a call. We'll tell you the honest truth about it. Hey, how much paperwork's involved in a refi? You want the straight answer? Probably more than you want to provide. It's a lot. I mean, we know what happens when we had the uh, crummy requirements, low bar, don't bring in, don't bring in any paperwork. Those kind of loans were around. Look what it did. Today, we bring everything in. We validate everything, sometimes too much. Um, that's just the way it goes that, you know, it, it's part of it, but that's the more honest approach to how it goes. Um, and by the way, the, the rates that cash call offers, um, and as well as really any of the other lenders, there's nobody out there that's just that good that, Hey, everybody in town's at 3.75. And now here's this company at three. I mean, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. That's generally true. I mean, you can throw some serious money at buying down your interest rate. That's going to have an effect on your APR. If you're paying points and fees and stuff, that's a different deal. So I just get offended by that. I feel that. 
You, you can sense that. Am I giving off that energy? Yeah. I didn't want to give off that energy. <laughs> Those commercials are annoying, though. Yeah, huh? they are. I mean, they basically just discount the rate, or at least they're advertising a discounted rate by cutting out a competent loan officer. That's the biggest thing they're doing. Yeah. They're giving you someone who's just, you know, paid a pretty small salary to, to answer phone calls and then fumble their way through the mortgage process. Well, yeah, they have like some of those companies, they'll have like a screener, right? So the first one's like the the person making eight bucks an hour that has, I always joke, that's the person doesn't even know there's a T in mortgage. And then um, if, you, if you're interested enough, you know, clickety, clickety, 3.25, here's your principal and interest payment. Are you ready? Then you're off to the next guy who might know a little something more about it. But in the end, I mean, and this is the complaint we get about a lot of the big online lenders is that it's the caliber of people that's lacking. Um, they're in a call center somewhere and they're just not the kind of high caliber loan officer that you would want. The way you said that, though, Dan, is that they're discounting the rate because they're cutting out the competent loan officer makes me feel like it almost gives the impression that because we have competent in, uh, loan officers that we have a higher rate. Do they have to even be in the United States? No. They don't. So. I mean, the, they have to be the company licensed. itself does have to be licensed in mm -hmm. one of the several licensing channels to do business here. But um, no, your, your loan officer may not be. Yeah. Maybe in Bangladesh somewhere. Yeah, not. I don't know that that's a bad thing. Maybe some people like doing business like that. I, I really like you know, in town here, and I tell my clients this too: is that I'm an old school guy. Yeah, we do a lot of business over the internet, and even with people in town. Like if you called me for a loan, we would do a lot over the internet. But um, there's nothing like having somebody come sit down in your office. You know, sit down face to face, shake a hand. Have a little bit of a, you know, it, it just sets the tone. We know each other. This is a business transaction. There's some accountability here. It's nice to to put a, a face to the person that, you know, if you're about to go through a stressful transaction, you know, this person is, they're human, you know, everybody involved here, it makes it real. It makes it more of a human interaction. I like that. Um, it's 10 o'clock, guys. This is the top of the hour break, about a five minute break. So go get some fresh coffee. Do whatever you got to do. We'll be back in a few minutes with a whole nother hour of Mortgage Matters. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. All right, here we are. We're back. It's 10.06. Got a whole hour of Mortgage Matters left. Hopefully you enjoyed some of the technical talk the first hour. Um, it's been a this TRID, this TILA RESPA integrated disclosure business has been a pretty big deal in the industry. Um, it's been talked about, worried about, planned around for the last several months, six months or more. Um, title and escrow companies have been holding seminars. Every bank that that has a mortgage department has been hosting webinars and conference calls and trainings and 
and it's been really big. So we felt compelled to share some of these changes with you just so that you're aware of them. I know it's, it's a lot of technical stuff. It's, it's probably hard for most, you know, average homeowners and, and home buyers to wrap their head around, but at least you're aware that there's a new form that's designed to be more clear, designed to help you shop and, and designed to help you, um, you know, make sure that what you're quoted or what, you know, the programs that are discussed with you up front are what you actually receive at the end of the process. Did you know, I know you did. I just, I'm just doing this. Uh, our newsletter came out this week and there was some good write up in there about Trid. Yeah. You knew We're, that. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Probably a big part of the writing of that. Cause, cause uh, to be honest, I didn't write a word of it. So, <laughs> yeah. So we, we do, but have, I'm very proud of we it. We have an article up on the website. If, if you, are interested in this topic um we we do have an article posted on our website at centralcoastlending.com um it's you know we we try to make it just right to the point of of what this is all about try to make it very clear so that you can understand what's going on with this new process this new disclosure form or forms um so if you if you know it doesn't come across the right way on the radio check out the the blog post um, it's also on our newsletter. Um, we've been holding trainings ourselves with, with re- real estate companies around the county. Uh, we've done a number of, of trainings at, at their sales meetings. Um, if you would like uh, us to come in and, and help your real estate firm understand this new, these new forms and the new process and how it's going to impact your business, we're happy to do that. Um, it can be as short or as long as you want. It could be all question and answer. Um, you know, all we are is, is here to help. That's a great idea. Um, yesterday, you and I were talking about a new ad campaign that we're putting out um, about construction financing. Yeah. And I thought it would be worthwhile to mention a little bit. Um, construction financing has been kind of a, a weak spot of the market really since this recession happened and and probably for good reason. I mean, you remember back in 2009, houses were selling for less than what the the wood and materials cost that were inside them. So needless to say, there are not a lot of lenders chomping at the bit to say, hey, let, let us loan you money to build one that you're going to have to sell for less than you could build it for. So the programs went away. A lot of the banks, I mean, you remember um, back in 2006 era, uh, it seemed like every bank offered some sort of a one-time closed construction loan. It was very popular. And um, in fact, I knew some loan officers in town here that made a living doing only construction loans. Um, and to be honest, I think that they were probably the the right person to go to because they so specialize in it. Really, really understanding the intricacies of what's required of the contract or what kind of licensing, bonds, insurance, um, what's the, uh, the format, the acceptable format of the bids and proposals and budgets, and then also understanding the draw schedule of, you know, once you do your grading and you get your, your money for the, the digging and then, um, ultimately the foundation or, or footing slab work, then you've got like your framing and your trusses and your roof and so on all the way through the process. And and what happens in construction lending is, um, 
each one of those little milestones that's reached is when like the next set of money's released, right? I mean, it'd be crazy to think you said, Hey, see this empty piece of dirt over here? I'm gonna build a house. I need five hundred grand. It's gonna be worth seven fifty. You're gonna love it. Everybody's gonna make a bunch of money. Give me five hundred grand. You'd go, Oh, let's slow down, make sure it's all gonna work out, see your permits, see your fees, you know, make sure everything's going through the way it's supposed to, and then we'll give you seventy five grand. Once you do the grading and do the foundation work, maybe some framing, we'll come out and take a look at it. That all looks good. We'll front you another 75 grand so that you can do your trusses and your roofing and your sheeting and, and like that through the process, right? Typically, you know, four, seven, 11, 20 draws. It doesn't, you know, different companies did different things. So for those reasons, you kind of want to work with a pro. You should know the person that knows how to set up the interest reserve and do all those things about it. Um, and then many of those banks went out of business. Many of those loan officers, if they were going to survive, um, just went to go do other loan products. Um, so we sort of came through this interesting period now where if you go run around a, a hundred mortgage companies today, how many of them do construction financing? I tell you statistically, I think it's about two. And, um, and the people that are doing those loans today, um, are having to specialize in them again. Um, and so we are, are proud to be spreading the word now that we have, we've been doing construction loans. Um, they've been few and far between mainly cause there's just not a big demand for it in the market. Right. I mean, we came out of that season where we needed values to come up a little bit and we needed to get back to where there was a space where you could build a house and not be upside down at the end. Um, and that's been going on for the last probably three years now. So we've had construction offers and, um, up until recently, it's really been like, generally speaking, a two loan deal, right? You would generally own the lot, come to us for a construction loan. We could do a construction loan for you at the conclusion of the construction loan. 18 or 24 months, we're going to do one more loan that refinances that now into a 30 year fixed. Um, you can think right there, you got to understand that there's some obvious disadvantages to doing two loans. It's two loans. So you're going to go through the process two times and you're going to have basically have to have a two escrow process, two title, two credit report, two appraisal, two you name it, two of everything. So essentially you're going to have like double the cost, right? And then moreover, um, what happens when you come to get your takeout loan, right? That second loan, the 30 year fix, what are rates going to be? I, I don't know. Anybody that tells you they know is, is not being very honest with you. That's going to happen a year and a half or two years from now, and you're just going to get what you get. And, um, you know, over the last couple of years, that's not been a terrible thing, right? I mean, rates have been steady or declining. Yeah. They went up a little bit, but it's still been pretty safe environment. It, what are rates going to be in two years? I don't know. Yeah. You can't even begin to know two years ago. I probably would have said, I think they're going to be higher. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Ask me today. I think they're going to be higher I, and we very well could be wrong. Who knows? I don't know. You can't know that. Um, but so today we can talk a little bit about the one-time close, what we call the, the OTC um, construction loan. 
Yeah, we've got it. There's a, there's several different variations of a one-time close. There's a one-time close based on regular conventional guidelines. We have a one-time close based on FHA guidelines, and then another one based on VA guidelines. And so the qualification is a lot like qualifying for a conventional or an FHA or a VA loan as far as credit standards, loan-to-values, um, you know, gift funds or, you know, source of funds, things like that. All of the guidelines are pretty much in line with the regular mortgages that we're used to. Um, these are just helping facilitate the build of a new home rather than the purchase of a new or existing home. Um, so with a VA loan, if, if, a, if a borrower is a veteran and they have, um, you know, eligibility for the VA loan program, then they can qualify for 100% construction financing through VA. Really cool opportunity for VA borrowers. Um, likewise, with FHA, qualify up to 96.5% loan-to-value on an FHA construction loan. Um, these loans will go up to the maximum loan limit for the county, which in San Luis Obispo is 561200 um, And, you know... Some of the, the FHA and VA programs can accommodate derogatory credit, you know, credit scores down even into the 500s. You have to have some compensating factors, but it will actually entertain some derogatory credit. You can even use the, the construction funds to buy the dirt. So it's the land acquisition can always be a part of these one-time closed construction loans. You don't have to own the dirt already. You can use this to acquire the dirt um, and you can either build a stick built, a regular old stick built single family home or a manufactured home. You can put a manufactured home on a lot and, um, you know, do all of that with this one time closed construction loan. What's what's cool about this process is, you know, we all we've talked about it a lot that it seems like in, in our county, it takes a little more time to get through the planning and permitting process, all the approvals that are required, you know, whether it's a, you know, geological survey or, a, you know, some kind of impact study or, you know, there's so many different inspections and surveys that need to go on as you're getting approved for permits and, and that, that you actually are doing all of that during the loan approval process. And only when all that has been fully approved and worked out and you're actually ready to pay fees, are you then closing your loan and then incurring interest cost on that loan? Um, so that's, that's really cool. You're not sitting here with a loan, you know, as you're waiting six months or 12 months to get through the, the planning and permitting process. You're, you're closing the loan when that is all taken care of. And then you have 12 months to complete your construction. And then at the end of that, you're without enduring another escrow and another set of loan fees, like you were describing, Jason, um, you just, your loan automatically converts into a 30 year fixed mortgage at a rate that you locked in when the loan was, you know, closed 12 months prior, or however long, you know, when you when the loan is finally closed, you've already locked in your interest rate. So there's no interest rate risk during the building process. So it really it, it eliminates risk. It saves you fees. It cuts down your fees at least in half and uh, cut down your time. And you get a 30, uh, you know, a lot of those construction loans are variable rate well it, it depends there's different structures of the construction loans but this is a this is a fixed rate loan it's it's below five percent interest you know it's a great 
affordable interest rate, a 30-year fixed loan at the end of it all. It's a great deal. It, it's really a great process. And it goes up to relatively high loan-to-values compared to other construction loan programs that exist out there. Yeah. And just to kind of back up, uh, that's a great example of like the claim I made in the last hour of the show, which is um, this is why we work with different investors. We have different banks. This particular investor that we sell these loans to, uh, they love these, right? This isn't one of the things on their on their lending menu that they hope nobody wants. Because we all know that that kind of thing, um, that that's prevalent, right? I mean, if you went around town today and polled the local community banks and the big banks as to, hey, do you offer construction financing? Sometimes you're going to hear the answer yes, but then if you could pull one of the internals aside and say, but do you really want one? Because you're going to send in all your paperwork and you're going to be a great borrower, great credit, great reserves, own the lot, plenty of equity. And it comes on down to it. And the answer is they're already at the cap of what they can fit for construction financing on their balance sheet or something like this, some reason. Oh, you don't have experience building. A yeah. Oh, home. it turns out we really want one of the parties involved to actually be a licensed contractor or to produce some kind of documentation that you've done this before. We don't want to do a first timer. And you're like, mm, okay, well, that doesn't help. And now you've, how long does it take to get to the bottom of that rabbit hole before you realize that you're just spinning your wheels? So it's really critical to know that um, this is an investor that wants to do these loans. Um, we've got folks on staff that have made point of being expert in the construction loan process. Um, and so we feel like we're well equipped to be able to handle these kinds of requests. And uh, if you need one, come and get it. Uh, and, and you know what, too? Sometimes, um, like right now, in this market where there's just not a lot of homes available for sale, there isn't. I mean, look around. It's tough. And if you're in the market right now, you know that. If you're looking for a $450,000 house, like a standalone single-family house somewhere in the county, um, you and everyone else, bud, everyone's looking for that house. And sad news is there's like, you know, on any given day, there's nine of them or something. You know, it's not a lot. So this creates an opportunity um, where somebody can... You know, and maybe you don't qualify for it right away, but get on the track to qualifying for it. Have a plan. Um, I, I started responding to an email, so I may have missed the first part of what you said, Dan. Forgive me if I ask you to repeat yourself, but did you say that land acquisition can be a part of this? Yep. Land, yeah. You, when you're doing these one-time closed construction loans, land acquisition can always be part of the transaction. You don't already have to own the land um, before you can qualify for a one-time close, you can make that land acquisition and the build, the construction costs, both the hard and soft costs of construction, part of your your loan. So yeah, it's it's all in one. It's really great. It really what it does is it combines three different loan processes into one. 
because what what you'll often see is you need a loan to acquire land and then you need to go through the planning and permitting while you're qualifying for your construction loan which takes out your land loan and provides you the money to build and then when you're done with that you have to take a third loan to get into your permanent 30-year fixed financing this combines all three of those processes into one process i really hate to cut you off but we have to do a commercial break <laughs> and here you're just talking uh-huh. right through it did he say that i mean wow. did you see that he asked me a question and i answered it quickly been, and concisely uh, and then he cut me I've off i've been over <laughs> here like the with the snip snip i, oh I mean i just the yeah, subtleties like the, are the rolling of the arm yes. you know kind the of rolling a, of the arm with the rolling of the eyes yeah, yeah, the, the, the finger across Come the on. Body. i thought you were just sending me home like, <laughs> yeah, going, keep buddy. going you're rounding third <laughs> okay yeah right. totally <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, it is time for a commercial break. We do have some sponsors of the show, you guys. And um, as a reminder, these are these are companies that um, that we're we are re- essentially referring. I mean, these are companies that we do business with. We like the way they do business, uh, and and they are a vital part of Mortgage Matters. So take some time out to listen for the sponsors here, uh, and stick around after this short break for more Mortgage Matters. To ask a question or make a comment, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. This is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending, host of Mortgage Matters on KVEC. As mortgage experts, we can help you refinance your home or investment property. We can lower your rate, shorten your term, or get rid of your mortgage insurance. Don't miss the opportunity to improve your financial situation. Call Central Coast Lending today. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing opportunity real estate broker. California Bureau of Real Estate number 018-39608. NMLS number 328-358. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people. Agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show.
All right, guys, welcome back. I'm just rocking here. It's this thing during the break. I saw him on Tuesday at the Bowl in Santa Barbara. How was that? Phenomenal. Good weather. Oh, beautiful. I love the Bowl. Oh, yeah, it's a great venue. Did you happen across the little lower bypass there through the the Oaks where they have yeah. the Jerry Garcia that was um, cool. memorial kind of tribute thing? That was awesome. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and happened to make one of the buses, you know, to drive you up the hill on the way into the bowl. Yeah. That was really nice, actually, too. <clears throat> Love the bowl. What a great place. That's a great venue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you been to any shows this year at the Wiener Robles Amphitheater? I have not. I was thinking about going to see uh, Judas Priest next Friday, but I might, may. Dude, may. you're a rocker through yeah, and yeah. through. Basically, yeah. We'll see. We'll see what happens with that. That's awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So we did miss. We missed the show last week. Um, sorry about that. Just didn't just didn't work out. Thought we had a, a good plan together for Dan was scheduled to be out of town. And then uh he was. <laughs> My sidekick didn't show. And you know what? I'm just mm-hmm. I'm gonna call a spade a spade, dude. I didn't have the the guts to come in here and just Oh, sit you could have filled two hours. I don't alone. think I can, man. I think so. I really don't. E- even if I am the you know, an eighty percent talker. Mm-hmm. Mine eighty percent or Dan? I think you're more like ninety. Ninety. <laughs> it, Dan is over there severely concentrating on I something am. right now for you people listening on the radio. Dan would be a good ve- a television. Oh, no, he's not. Right he's now. like setting up his fantasy <laughs> football team right now. He's like putting in the off. Oh, never mind. Looking he's at, not. I'm, never mind. I have a friend who's looking to relocate to the area, and I was just checking out. Slow you know, county homes at some houses. We need a live action camera like Rush has, like on his show. Live no. action camera here in the studio. Well, what about the fact that like we have a, uh, it's always said like I have a face for radio. Well, I think we all do. But anyway. <laughs> Not Dan. Look at this guy. Looks <laughs> like, like a model. <laughs> you bring Thanks. us back. Yeah. <laughs> Is that awkward? <laughs> wow. I'm sitting on the other end of the table here, but I might just roll my chair over by you. You're I'll so even cute. let you buy me lunch later. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Coffee date. So you're checking out Slow County Homes, Dan. Um, yeah, there's some um, well-priced single-family homes down in Arroyo Grande. So that's what I was checking out. Yeah. Lower, I, uh, lower to mid fours. Good starter home. I go to the... Uh, I go through Wes, Wes's website, you know, the westburk.com. Um, but I, I have... Uh, Link to him up in my bar here is the new listings tab. Mm-hmm. Do you? I, I'm addicted to the new listings. Do you look at the new listings? Mm, I no. I mean, I, so I just kind of look at an area or type of property when I get it. Oh. Yeah, and I I like that too, especially if you're looking for like some kind of square footage, right? Or uh, yeah, I like that I can really refine pool, my search. Whatever and get it is, specific for yeah, something. something with a guest house or a duplex or something like that. Yeah, looking really specifically. Um, at any area within the county, all of them are just, you know, just the coastal area or whatever. You can really hone in on something. I look at the uh, the new listings every single day, sometimes twice a day because it gets updated throughout the day. Um, you know, when you take that little screen break and maybe you pop open your Facebook or check your personal email or whatever, I, I like to look at these listings. Um, yesterday, 
So filed under October 9th is the list here. And if you look at it, it's really cool uh, because it's the entire county. So, and then, and they're all under the date just October 9th, right? And if you scroll down a little bit, we have October 8th and the listings for the entire county um, right there. And then likewise, so for each day, it's the listings all around the county and they're organized, I guess, first by city and it's alphabetical. So yesterday there was a single new listing in Arroyo Grande, just one, um, a place for 499,000 bucks, uh, one in a Tascadero, a two bedroom, two bath for 340. Uh, somehow somebody plunked one in here for Bakersfield. That's weird. But uh, one for Bradley, one for Guadalupe, one for Lompoc, two for Napomo, one for Orchid. Check this out. One, two, three, four, five. Five for Paso Robles in just one day. So if you look at this thing like I do every day, sometimes I only look at a Tascadero or something, right? If there's a particular market that I'm interested in. But it's cool to just see the activity kind of pop on for the whole daily thing, scroll through and see what's out there. Um, and then, of course, there's a link to each and every property. So if you see something that catches your eye, you want to take a look at it, um, just click it and check it out. A pretty cool little resource. Um, and every now and again, I like just clicking on some of the the big boys, man. There's some properties get listed in our county that are uh, pretty stinking nice. And then I get caught wondering, who lives there? Like right here. Here's a five-bedroom, five-bath home in the city of Atascadero. $1.895 million. It's a 4,900-square-foot, five-bed, five-bath. Where is that? Atascadero. Wow. And dude, look at this house. That's Atascadero. <laughs> Whoa. That's like Bel Air, man. Whoa, that is a fancy. How much is that? 1.895. Holy cow. A 5.5. Five, That's a nice Basically 4,000 square feet. That is crazy. Check out the pool. Yeah. Where the going? lighting and Dang. stuff on the house and the pool and the view. That house is amazing. That's amazing. So then I got to stop and say. Who's buying $1.9 million houses? And I, it just makes me feel poor, man. That's some yeah. crazy amount of money. You, you got to have done some a lot of things right. Um, but then it reminds me, there are a lot of people that are. That new, what's it called? Dan Brownstone? Is that what it's called? Oh, the Marsh Street Brownstones? And stuff? Yeah, so right next to French Hospital, <clears throat> right? Yeah. Uh, Old French hospital. Old French, yeah. The the brick building that was recently redone. Yeah, it's on Marsh between Santa Rosa and what's it, Toro? Toro. Oh, yeah. so bad. Santa Rosa and Toro. Yeah. But mm -hmm. so there's a screen up right now, right? That like construction, temporary construction fence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They've been digging up, building some stuff. They're building some pretty cool houses in there. Yeah. 3,000 square feet homes. Um, that have garage, I mean, it looks kind of like the standard thing. I think there's eight of them all together in the mm -hmm. little project right there. Mm -hmm. uh, they're selling for $1.8 million. Wow. And they've already so got four of them four of the eight. in contract. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's pretty crazy. You said you read that, you know, like, like me. I'm like, who buys that? Mm. Who buys that? $1.8 million. If you had to finance that and... I think we could, if you had really good credit, it would probably be like a five or ten percent down deal if you were like scraping the barrel uh, to get in. I don't know about that. I think you'd have to probably, 
You could maybe do 10% down with some pledged assets. I think more likely you'd have to put 20% down. All right. So let's call it 20% down. And you finance about a million and a half. Yeah, 1.8 million. Yeah, you're going to put down... Three and a half. Yeah, three hundred and sixty thousand dollars. Come out with a loan for a mil and a half, essentially. Um, I use this little quick trick. Let's call it five hundred five hundred dollars for every hundred thousand you borrow. So it's five hundred times fifteen. Seventy five hundred bucks a month. Yeah, that's crazy. That's wild, dude. And the property taxes on that house alone. One of those places. The one of those Brookstone homes. 1.8 1.8 million in our city is going to get assessed at about 1.05% from the county and you're talking monthly property taxes now of no. about $2,000 a month. Do you think there's HOA fees on those? Totally. So then there's HOA fee. <laughs> yeah. I mean this is like you're a, you got some serious skrill. And imagine you buy this house, mm-hmm. just let, let's say you just, I don't know what happened. You mm-hmm. hit it good on the prices, right? And you got the <laughs> 1.8 and you buy this bad dog. <laughs> yeah. Your yeah. property taxes are two grand a month and they're yeah. only ever going to go up. That's a, I mean, that's a deal in and of itself. You're going to be yeah. paying that every month. It's crazy. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Homeowners insurance has got to be three or four hundred dollars a month for a structure like that. I, uh, you know, I was, and I imagine if you live in a two million dollar house, you have some personal property you need to insure, like your furs and your diamonds and your like yeah. Bugatti and. Well, you know, I was just sitting at the bowl the other day, and all those houses that kind of surround the bowl. Yeah, how many houses. How much do those things go They've for? They've got to be million upon. You get to watch a lot of shows for like you. You sit up there and see those people like up to your left that are on their patio having a party. Yeah, uh, you know, not to mention you got a great view of Santa the Barbara, the ocean, Stearns Wharf. Holy smokes! The, the whole I don't even area. know. I mean, I mean, you'd walk by some of those houses. That's, that's you know, like where Oprah lives. There. Yeah, I mean, you got walk to buy. You have to walk by some of those houses to park. And it's just incredible what those houses would go for, I would think. Yeah, so Dan, yep. who buys a $1.8 million house in downtown Slow? Well, there was an article recently in the Tribune, and, and the agent who's listing these properties said that the buyers have been empty nesters who have have a lot of money. You know, they're they're upper income empty nesters who are buying these. And, and you know, they're looking for that... that more urban lifestyle where there's proximity to shops and restaurants and things like that. But, you know, they want a nice home, a nice new construction home. The homes are pretty big. I think they're, you know, 3,500 square feet, I want to say, something in that neighborhood. They're three stories, 3,500 square feet, roughly. Um, But, I mean, you can't beat the location. No, that's cool. It's a block away from all the nightlife that San Luis has to offer, all the restaurants, all the, you know, shopping and stuff like that. So it's a pretty cool location. Yeah, um, yeah, but dang, that's a lot of money. That is. That's people that are playing with some some serious money. Yeah, I I'm guessing that we're probably not seeing a lot of those financed, but no. I could be wrong. I hope I get to buy one of those one day. A couple million bucks. By the time I can afford one, they're probably gonna be like ten million, and I'll be like, shoot, <laughs> if only I had a time machine that I could bring my money in. I found one house on uh, in Santa Barbara. Near the Santa Barbara Bowl, four bedrooms, four baths, three thousand eight hundred thirty-eight square feet. Um, built nineteen forty-nine. They're asking, do you want to even guess? Three million four hundred ninety-five thousand dollars. Wow, that's not bad. 
<laughs> yeah, I'll write out a check. Who buys that? I <laughs> you got to be like a movie know. star or something. I don't know. There's one uh, also near the bowl. One million eight hundred forty-nine thousand dollars. Hmm. That's a two-bedroom, two-bath. <laughs> yeah, that's why. <wild>. Fix for upper. <laughs> Um, you know what? Santa Barbara's prices, I think we can all agree, are pretty out of control. But that's where I see San Luis going. Me too. You know, so you're talking about this $1.8 million brand new construction in downtown San Luis. It's only a matter of time before that thing's worth. Well, then it's a comp. Hey, there's soon to be four comps that suggest a home of that square footage and size in downtown Slow is worth $1.8 bucks. Um, I started thinking about that too, Dan. Just let's take the mental drive up as you like round the corner up Marsh Street in town. Um, the new building there now across from Foster Freeze, I forget what it's called, Marsh Commons or something, no, Garden. Uh, yeah, Marsh Commons, I believe. Beautiful I building. What a great building! It's got the businesses downstairs and. You know, apartments upstairs, the Foster Freeze building. Now that um, obviously that's closed, and there are plans there to to tear that down and build something quite similar in size, use, and appeal to the building, the new building across the street. Um, you start just kind of start working your way up the street there. There's all these little infill projects that are coming in, and then up at the top now we're gonna have this brownstone. I got to imagine that the investment play is like, uh, remember that craftsman building that um, is down there? Um, it's it's really close to that Marsh Commons building that uh, somebody approached us about leasing it at some point. But there's just a couple buildings right there that if you can get your hands on those, those things are going to be worth a fortune someday. And And I do. I see slow turning that way. I mean, there's a lot of money now going in. Um, I've recently seen plans for um, a couple of other projects in Uptown Slow that just seem pretty amazing. I, I feel like it probably is headed in that direction. Um, hey, because we missed the show last week, I wanted to talk a little bit about that jobs report that came out. And then, um, and lastly, this week, the feds released their meeting minutes from the September meeting where they debated whether or not to raise interest rates. And so there's a little bit of insight there, which tells us kind of what to expect for the October meeting and probably the December meeting. So I thought that'd be a nice way to round out the show with a little bit of economic piece. Um, we do need to do the final commercial break here of the show. So let's do that. And uh, we'll be back in a few minutes with the conclusion of Mortgage Matters. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. 
For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. This is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending. I see you at our kids' Little League games, I bump into you at the grocery store, and it's always fun when we pass each other at Farmer's Market. I'm not a national bank or a faceless website. I'm a local lender, accountable, competitive, and ready to help. Call Central Coast Lending today. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543 Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing opportunity real estate broker. California Bureau of Real Estate number 018-39608. NMLS number 328-358. What a state of generosity, look what my agent got for me, just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks, I couldn't ask for more, but now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. All right, guys, welcome back. I sent Dan the link here to the uh, that crazy nice house in Atascadero for $1.895 million. Sounds like less when you just say it like that. What's a million bucks anymore? Nothing. Nothing. Psh, can I have a million bucks? Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. It's like that joke. Do you ever hear that joke? Yeah. He says, little boy says to God, he says, God, what's a what's a million bucks to you? And God says, oh, it's like less than a second. Mm-hmm. And then he says, uh, what's a million bucks to you? And he says, oh, it's like less than a dollar. And the kid says, God, can I have a million bucks? And God says, yeah, in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> you ain't got time, son. Yeah. All right. Um, all right. So the jobs report that we would have talked about last week, had we been here doing what we were supposed to be doing, um, showed that the unemployment rate held steady at 5.1% and that the economy added. Are you, You're hovering over the applause button. Please do not hit applause right here. Uh, 142,000 jobs in September. Wow. That's no bueno. No. Um, the report is being called lackluster for sure. These numbers are worrying um, for a couple different reasons. I mean, first and foremost, forecasters were hoping for at least 200,000 jobs added for the month of September. Um, and, and when you go back and run this out, the average number of jobs 
uh, per month in the first eight months of 2015 is above 200,000. So the average has been over that. We expected to hold that path. Um, and secondly, part of this report comes the revisions for the month of August, right? It's common that they always kind of give a preliminary number, go back and recount the other numbers. I feel like most of the year we've been seeing upward revisions, right? I mean, doesn't every month just get better once we have more time to count? Um, no, the August jobs number added has been revised down to 136,000 from 173. Um, that is no bueno. Well, I remember when that August number came out, it was the first jobs number scoring under 200,000 under 200 in like 12 or 18 months or something like that. But no one was worried because the last two or three Augusts had all been revised upward. So it was just an assumption that that would also be revised upward and there would be no big deal. Revised downward ah, and so pretty significant. 136,000. That's, that is not a good number. Um, and then they took, um, let's see. So if, if you just look together now at July and August, um, those numbers, August, 59,000 fewer jobs than previously reported. So in the past three months now, isolating July, August, and September, the job gains have averaged 167,000 per month. So for the first eight months of the year, which we now know we need to say for the first five months of the year, we averaged over 200,000. And now we're averaging 167,000. That's not the holy smokes, this is awesome kind of path we thought we were on. And um, so this is this is what the feds have to chew on right now. Um, what we learned about the meeting minutes um, for last month's meeting, the, the open market committee got together and said that, um, that the majority now of committee members believe that 2015 is an appropriate time to raise rates. They do believe it's an appropriate time. Yeah. And said that um, unless the economy surprises us. And she essentially said they'll be watching close. Um, I want to I grab my notes so that I can say this spot on here. Um, here's the takeaway from the meeting minutes. Okay, we don't need to get into all the boring stuff of it. Hear this. The September meeting, the reason they did not raise rates in September was, quote, to wait for additional information confirming that the economic outlook had not deteriorated. They must have had some murmurings going on in there that said, hey, <laughs> we're kind of recounting and July and August aren't really that good. And we need to wait, kind of see what happens with September's before you guys go ahead and push that button. So let's all just kick back. And that was the comment. Hey, look, majority of the people in this room think it is an appropriate time to raise rates now, but we're taking this pause to make sure that nothing's deteriorated. I got to believe they knew those words feel very chosen to me. Um, so, there you go. September payrolls were only up 142,000 uh, jobs. That's not good. Hourly earnings were minus 0.1%. So we're not seeing the growth in hourly wage growth that we need to be seeing. Yes, the unemployment rate remained unchanged. So at least that wasn't a big you know, blowout, right? Um, 
And in that news, by the way, that did it led to a little bit of a sell-off of the Dow. I realize we're late on reporting this now, but the markets realize that too. Hey, this stuff's no good. Um, and so that's now what we'll be talking about going forward. Um Yesterday, I believe it was, there was an interview with one of the Fed um, presidents, one of the voting members of the Fed, one of the 12, 12 voting members. And this person was, I, I can't remember the name of, of the person, um, but they were, they were doing an interview and they said that December would be an appropriate time um, to raise kind of the same caveat that, you know, pending additional data. But, but they could see December being the right time. Right now, economists that are betting on the December meeting, it's, it's split 50-50. So, you know, people who aren't voting, who don't have a say in this, outsiders looking in are mixed on whether or not the Fed will actually do something uh, in December. But that seems like the earliest opportunity that we'll see a change Um and, and so it's really going to be data dependent is, is what this Fed voting member said that, you know, right now, if, if things hold the way they are, they, they can see December as an appropriate time. Um, but we'll see if we continue to see um, lackluster growth in jobs and, you know, wage growth that's not occurring. And, you know, then there's those other factors. Inflation right now doesn't warrant a rate hike yeah we want to see more inflation we want to see we want to see things overseas um improving and and that really hasn't been happening so it sounds to me like they're more focused on the domestic data um what's going on here but if if the the overseas pressures and the inflation pressures and you know the the job situation continue to be where they're at i i could see them maybe holding off until 2016 they may um Another one of the things that I, I I flirted with you guys a lot through September about this government shutdown. Did you hear anything about that? Uh, a little. Nah, I, I mean, by and large, kind of got swept under the rug, and I would guess it's because we're not too proud of it. Um, but we had September 30th was a a big day. That's to be the, you know, the budget has to be passed um, and or a what actually happened was because right if they hit september 30th and don't have a budget they can be agreed upon then the government goes into that shutdown mode and in order to avoid that um we made it around that guess how a continuing resolution the day before um, appropriations ran out we said let's kick the can down the road so we got this they call it a CR. That's the continuing resolution, which funds the government now until December 11th. So we got a little bit more time, pass the House, pass the Senate, um, gives them another couple months to hammer out a long-term budget um, and uh, prevents the government shutdown. So we totally just kicked the can down the road. So now I got to believe that come the, the meeting here in October – I don't think many people anticipate any kind of rate hike at all because it's just not that kind of meeting. It doesn't appear to be anyway absent of the press conference. Um, so this month, not on the table. December, um, we're going to have one more jobs report. Things haven't been looking too great in terms of jobs, inflation, hourly wage growth, uh, budget, um, this government shutdown thing. 
the circus that is the already, you know, political vetting, I guess, that we're doing, which is pretty wild. Um, oh, man. I Let's stay apolitical on the show here, but things just don't feel great right now, probably across the board in any direction. I can't imagine the feds are going to raise rate in 2015. Maybe I'm just a cynic, but do do. <laughs> Do you actually see a long-term budget getting worked out with the current players? I sure don't. I Is it just me, or have we been kicking the can down the road? For a while. For like two or three years now. Yeah. If it took you or me two or three years to get something done at our job... Well, no, don't call st- it something done. Let's call it a budget. <laughs> I'm, you, but I'm talking about you and me. I mean, just anything. Yeah, even a budget. Whether it's so, a budget or so, whether it's any project at our company, just to, would you still be employed? No. Would either of us? I mean, no. No. You'd be <laughs> in a park somewhere looking. Jim, if you took two or three years to get a, t- a, a job done at, at this radio station, would you still have a job? No. Absolutely where, not. Where in America can you yeah. take two or three years to not get your job done and still have a job? I don't know. I, I don't mean, get I, it. You know, I'll come in and do the Mortgage Matters show on Monday. Yeah. I don't think and that'll work Monday, because the show in, runs on Saturday. And then on Monday you come in, you're like, <laughs> you know what? I haven't got it figured. I don't have my plan yet. I'm going to wait till next month. It <laughs> is crazy. There's no two and ways And by the way, I have none it. of the elements ready for the Mortgage Matters show, so it's going to take another day or so to get that ready. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. It just well, and the it. funny thing is that all along the way, if you convert this over into like kind of things we can understand, you've not figured out the budget of your household because you can't agree on the income and expenses and how they should properly be allocated. All the while, you're maxing out your Visa card. You're out of money. You're in crazy amounts of debt. It's maxing out your Visa card. So what you do in the end, the day before it hits the fan, is you say, you know what? I am going to raise my available credit on my Visa card. (laughs) <laughs> Which is not at yeah, least good. at least in your life, you need to call Visa and Visa has to take a step back and say, hey, no, does this knucklehead deserve some more money or do no. we just call it call it a loss and, and get dumb. him on a repayment plan? Don't let him dig this hole any deeper. Uh, no. Here we just say we're, we're raising our own Visa here um, no. while we figure this thing out. Uh, you know, Dan, it's wild to me. Would it would it be OK, Dan, like if you decided, well. For our office, because I know you're the you're the bill payer kind of around there. I, I, you write a lot of the checks. So if you didn't pay the bill to PG&E, well, you know, they didn't let me pay it last month. They didn't seem to care. So I'm going to put it off another month. And then are you going to be able to get business done if you have all your electricity turned off? it's dark. Yeah. No, it turns out it's really hard to turn on a computer that way. Yeah. 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 It's it run well. That's <laughs> <laughs> the weirdest thing. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Let me give you a piece of hope before I ah. shift into the closing speed here. And again, I'm, I'm going to stay apolitical on this. So I'm just going to tell you the facts right now. House Speaker John Boehner, Republican dude. I thought he quit. He's quitting. Oh. He'll be done at the end of October. And um, maybe that dude's the reason they couldn't get this done. I don't, I don't want to hear if you think yes or no or whatever, but the, some people believe that that's going to be, you know, kind of the thing now that gets everybody together and figure out how to agree on this. Uh, there's like 500 people to blame. 
Yeah, and there's totally read on the other side. Um, Both of them were stumbling. Yeah, blocks. no, yeah, totally. The house is what? I mean, the house is like almost 500, 500 people in and of itself. Senate's a little bit another smaller, hundred, but yeah. yeah, another hundred and something. Um, <laughs> those are the people I'm mad at. That's crazy talk. Uh, hey, guys. Um, we talked in the show today about a lot of things, and um, ultimately the the biggest takeaway I want to leave you guys with here is that if you need some loan help, we'd love to help you out. Uh, rates are still, I mean, I want to say- Rates are at the pre-summer historically lows. Historically low. Yeah. It's a very good time. We're actually seeing a fair amount of refinance volume right now as people are able to come in and save some money, get rid of their mortgage insurance. Um, we're also still helping people get- Pre-qualified. I know I, I talk every week about how dire it feels in the real estate market that there are not that many homes for sale. Um, I, I, I saw like, a bunch of... we. Our company probably had 15 new purchase transactions come on since the first of the month that are all local to our county. So, folks, there are plenty of people able to, to buy and sell real estate right now. If you want to get involved in that game, I think your best first step is getting in touch with the money folk. That's us. So give us a call, 543-LOAN, 543-5626. Find us on the web at centralcoastlending.com. Thanks very much for being with us today. We'll be back next week with another live episode. Have a great week.